Welcome to Burden of Rejoinder, the new podcast from the 3NR. I am Bill Batterman, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Brian Manuel, who is uh, taking a break from coaching at the Duke Tournament uh, to record this podcast episode. So I appreciate that, Brian. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, You know, coming off a couple back-to-back weekends. I've had a tournament every weekend of the year so far since uh, the University of Kentucky season opener. And like you said, I have teams compete in round one at the Duke Invitational, but you know, doing as good as we can at this part of the year. Got all my teams up and running, just had my student interest meeting uh, this week and have about 40 or 50 new students joining the team to do any number of different type of debate events. So yeah, not a bad week. Fantastic. This is our first off weekend of the year. So I'm excited. Uh, We've gone to three in a row and taken a weekend off for Nutrier next weekend. So on this episode, we're going to talk about two topics that aren't the high school topic. We're going to talk about the proposed high school topics for next season, the 2022 uh, season. And then we're going to talk about this year's college topic about antitrust. Uh, so uh, sec- segment one, the first segment of the episode will be about next year's high school topic, the process by which the topic is created, give you a little information about the NFHS and how that goes about. We'll share our thoughts about the um, slate of topics, kind of walk you through um, how we think about good topics. And then in the second segment, we will give you a brief introduction to the college antitrust topic. Um, We'll share some suggestions for how to get up to speed about it and why you might want to, even if you're not a college debater. Uh, And then we will talk about the differences in the high school and college uh, topic selection process uh, and and give you a few tips on how to uh, use watching college debates and using the college wiki to help make you a better debater. So two topics, neither one is this year's high school topic, but I think you'll still enjoy this episode. We'll be back with a discussion of next year's topics in just a second. So the first thing we want to talk about in this episode is the slate of topics that are proposed for next high school season. So the 2022-2023 season, the uh, high school topic selection process plays out over quite a long period of time. Topic papers are uh, written and submitted. There's a meeting during the summer. Uh, a final slate of five topics is put out for a vote. That's the, pro- the part of the process that we're in now. That voting is due in early October. Uh Once that voting is completed, the final two choices will be uh, sent out and the final balloting will be completed um, right around the turn of next year. So uh, the organization that does the high school topic process is called the National Federation of State High School Associations or NFHS. Um, That organization has been doing this for a very long time. The organization used to be called the National University Extension Association. They had a committee on discussion and debate and um, the process has changed a bit over uh, time, but for a very long time since the, uh, I don't know exactly when it started, but from uh, what I can tell from the very early 20th century until today, the NFHS is in charge of this, which is something that students might not be familiar with because uh, that's not an organization that we would ordinarily think of as a speech and debate organization. Um, the way that the voting works is that uh, individual state organizations who are members of the NFHS 
uh, are given a vote. And so they pull their membership and then submit a vote. And then some of the national organizations are also given a vote. So like at Woodward Academy, we can vote in Georgia under the auspices of the Georgia Speech and Debate Coaches Association, uh, under the uh, National Debate Coaches Association, the NDCA, which we're a member of. What else? The uh, NSDA that we're a member of. Um, we're not a member of the NCFL, but if we were, we could vote through that. Um, but all of those um, votes are then tallied. So it's more like the Senate than uh, sort of a popular vote. So um, our vote will count toward Georgia and then Georgia will submit a vote. Uh, our vote will count toward the NDCA and then the NDCA will submit a vote. And so that's the part of the process that we're in now. So Brian, you have participated in this process uh, quite a bit more than I have. The last time I did anything with this was in I think the 2009-2010 season, I went to the topic meeting in August in uh, Northbrook, Illinois, or Glenview, Illinois, at the old uh, Glenbrooks Hotel. Uh, can you uh, give the audience uh, a, a, a better understanding, or I guess a, just a preview of what it's like, kind of how that process begins? How do these topics that they're now seeing on the ballot uh, get onto that ballot? Like, where do they come from? How do we come up with these uh, choices? Um, and and what what is it kind of like on the ground as those topics are being formulated and decided? Yeah, definitely. So the most recent meeting I was at was the 2020-21 meeting. Um, it was done virtually because of the pandemic. Um, and I represented the NDCA. I also represented the state of New York. Since then, I've become the region one uh, NFHS rep to the speech advisory committee that oversees the entire topic process. So I'm not on one of the committees for the topic itself or the wording committee or any of those, but instead I sit on a committee that kind of is in charge of what, what happens at those meetings. So my experience was interesting because prior to attending the high school meeting last year, I have served as a proxy to the CETA topic process for three different years. And I've attended other meetings as well. So I went in with sort of an understanding of one process, the college process, and, and was thinking about that in the context of the high school process, but going through it, you know, a lot of things are different. So in the way the topic process operates, it's, you know, they very much focus on general topics that are interesting to the public that have large mass appeal. Uh, more importantly, they aim to have them written more like papers rather than car documents that you could see. So if you have any experience looking uh, at a lot of the different processes, and if you're a student or a coach listening to this and you follow on Facebook, you might see a lot of the college policy debate stuff happening where you see every day there's updates, there's Dropbox folders, there's significant definitional support, and a lot of different cards are being cut live during the meeting, and there's a running doc, et cetera. And it's not the same at the high school meeting. The high school meeting starts a year prior people in the previous meeting by starting the suggestion of topics and then they open it up to the federation and people can solicit their topics. And then from there, the topic wording committee kind of picks some areas and reaches out and has people write their papers and then they go through a sort of a review process. So that was new in the last couple of years where you write a draft of your paper, you submit it to the topic committee, the wording committee looks at it, they suggest edits, they send things back, you go through a process and, and through this process, um, they aim to get to a paper that can then be ready to be presented at the, the meeting. So we, you know, adjourn the meeting, you know, you bring the meeting to order and it immediately starts off with a report from the wording committee talking about sort of the general areas. They introduce the topic authors. There's usually an author or a proxy for the author that's in attendance. Um, 
and they'll go through and talk about kind of the background of the topic. They'll talk about kind of like their elevator pitch, uh, as Bill has said before. And then from there, you you break off and they call these Marshall subcommittees. And it's an interesting, so everyone's assigned to a Marshall subcommittee prior to the meeting. And that's who all the attendees are part of. So even if you're not a voting member of that, so you're not a state voting member or a national organization voting member, but you're just in attendance at the meeting, you get put into a Marshall subcommittee. And then the Marshall subcommittee, you discuss the topics to see if you can make them better, talk about different pitfalls that might be or advantages to the topic. And this is where I think you can have some sort of impact on the process. So if there's going to be like step one, what impact can you have on the process as an individual who is not the NFHS voting member for your state or a national organization? How can you have an impact on the process? Attend the meeting, be in a Marshall subcommittee, read the papers, voice your opinion at that time. So when I was on the Marshall subcommittees, I would voice my opinion on a lot of the things that we always talk about in circuit debate, talking about topic direction uniqueness, talking about what are the link arguments, what are the words of the resolution in terms of mechanisms, and are they you know, grounded in you know, literature that allows us to kind of have a balanced debate and some of that stuff. Because some of the topics sound great. I'm sure every year you see a huge list of topics that come out. They all sound like great hot button issues. But then when you start looking at the resolutions, a lot of the wording doesn't kind of sit well with you to think like, what does a topic look like if there's not a term of art, if there's not a well-grounded resolution? Like, what do some of these words mean? And it can get away from you quicker. More importantly, like what happens if like the status quo is what the resolution is talking about? So those things don't necessarily come into play earlier in the process, because like I said, National Federation of High Schools is significantly larger in terms of the scope than any independent organization in debate. And they cover all theater, a lot of academics, sports, and they give guidance to states. So they don't look to focus on the individual. They're not trying to talk like Woodward. They're not calling Woodward or they're not calling Edgemont or they're not calling your local high school to ask. They're just calling the state representative to the National Federation. And that's who's giving their guidance. So they only speak to members of the National Federation uh, from each state. And that's kind of who they, you know, that's their membership. That's who they play to. So as a result of it, there's not a lot of impact by the individual, but the individual can have an impact in the Marshall subcommittee. That's when you can make changes. Those changes can be taken into context and into kind of like reflection by the authors of the paper, and then they can make changes to it. Uh, and then there's a meeting usually at the end of the day or the next morning uh, where the wording committee will get together. They will discuss a number of the issues that happen. They'll come to a public discussion. They will pitch. Have there been changes? Have there been modifications? What were those modifications? Why were those modifications brought up? And then more importantly, kind of what is the final slate going to be? Now it turns into like, for goes from like the original pitch to the Marshall subcommittees where the edits happen to the wording committees in the morning where the final edits happen to the presentation to the delegates. And now the delegates get to have rounds of voting where caucusing happens, which is like super unique and you know, to a debate topic process if we think about it. So now the goal is you you caucus. So you sometimes you caucus with the members of your state. Sometimes you caucus regionally. Sometimes you caucus with your organization. So I know when we were there, a number of people who were like, you know, the only person from their state, I think it was like some California, New York, Oklahoma, Massachusetts, some others where I, they just came to the NDCA caucus room. But then all of a sudden, like some people from the Kansas caucus room would come over to the NDCA one and the NSDA one. And you'd move people through because you'd want to talk to kind of get support. So the topic authors would come in, 
and they kind of talk about like what are the issues you're having? What does your ballot look like? How are we voting? What can we do to do this? Can we, you know, here are the reasons we think our, you know, topic is good, our paper is good, et cetera. And they, you kind of caucus amongst people. So there's definitely a political element to the NFHS process that doesn't exist necessarily at the other committees and topic committees I've been a part of. There's a political, there's a political element to all of them, but because it doesn't have the ballots that go out or just the resolutions on them, you don't have like, you don't have you know, kind of democracy all along the way in terms of the way we think about like represent and like kind of direct democracy in the committees or in the community, it leads a lot to happen. So then there's rounds of voting and then you finally get down to the five on the ballot. And that, and that's kind of how the resolution happened. And they just keep going and they whittling off the lowest voter, lowest voter, lowest voter. And they keep talking about it and people, you keep caucusing. And then once the kid's down to five, you call it a day and then they open up the discussion about the next year. They talk about like, what are the topics they're going to solicit? They open up the solicitation process. People start putting in ideas. And then the wording committee in the fall comes together and then they'll start like contacting people right after the first round of balloting comes in. They'll start contacting people for the next year's topic for, you know, 23, 24, and they'll just go through that process. So it's it's an interesting process. It, I always tell people I've hadn't been to meetings before. The meetings are interesting due to the pandemic this year. I was unable to attend, but I will be trying to attend in the future years. It is tough because it's like right in the beginning of this August. So it's like some people are getting ready to go back to school and other people are trying to in camp and some people just want a break. So, but I would say if you want to ever get involved in the process, try to get involved early, try to speak to your state representative. Uh, if you don't know who your state representative is, feel free to reach out to any of the national organizations, the NSDA, the NFHS, the NDCA, uh, and anyone, the NCFL, and they'll be willing to help you uh, kind of try to get you in touch with who can help you impact the process. But it's definitely an interesting process. It's definitely political. You you know, like I said, you come show up, you got to get people convinced. And I mean, it's like many debates happening all weekend, trying to get your paper and people are eating lunch together. There's informal outings together. There's night dinners, uh, there's night activities, and people are always kind of like talking up their pitch. So it's like an interesting element of like politicking, but it is an interesting process and it's definitely worthwhile. And there's a lot of things that are a lot of good that can come out of it. It's uh, it's interesting that um, for as long as I've been in debate, I've known that like high school coaches write the topic papers. And um, a lot of times you would find out who wrote the winning paper. Uh, in recent years, the NFHS has been doing a better job, I think, of, of making everything more accessible or available. So we'll put in the show notes the um, link to the NFHS site where they have the all the top papers from this year. So I think they started with 10, and then it was obviously whittled down to the five. So you can see the other papers that didn't make the slate. You can also see the last couple of years worth of topic papers. So you can get a sense of what a topic paper looks like. Um, but for many of the papers this year, um, maybe not as much, but definitely um, in previous years, students have contributed. Um, so if your coach or somebody in your uh, region is working on a topic paper, they're, they're always interested in getting some help, you know, cutting some cards, giving your opinion about it. Um, if you have a really good idea, bring it to a coach, bring it to a, a favorite judge or, um, you know, somebody, it's a, an adult in the community that might be interested in writing it. It's very difficult to write a topic paper. It takes a lot of work. There's only a small chance that your topic paper actually, of course, becomes that year's topic. And so I think a lot of times people put in all that work and they're real excited about it and then their topic doesn't win and it sucks. Um, and I understand that, but 
uh, because of that, you know, there is an opening. It's not like there are a million topic papers every year. There's not a huge group of people that's always uh, uh, ready to write. And so if you want to get involved, especially if you're a, you know, maybe a young coach that's listening to this, it's much more accessible than you might think. There's a much uh, quicker path to being able to actually make a contribution than you might think. Um, so this year's uh, slate of topics, the slate of topics proposed for the, for uh, next season uh, was sort of whittled down. There's a couple of uh, the topics that I guess didn't make it. There was a China topic that did not make it. There was a Latin America topic. There was uh, there were two United Nations topics, one about peacekeeping and one about the United Nations standing army. And then there was a women's rights topic. Uh, the final slate, the ones that we will be choosing from, um, I won't read the whole resolution because that's not uh, that's not going to make for a great audio. But the uh, topic areas are available uh, from the NFHS website. I also did an article on the three and R where I kind of shared my thoughts about it. But the first area is climate change. It's a topic uh, calling for multilateral climate change uh, policy. There's a uh, emerging technology topic that um, uses NATO as its actor, or the United States acting through NATO to address some emerging technology issues. There's a global health security topic about uh, pandemic response, um, international health security. Uh, there is a Russia topic, kind of similar to the topic that finished as the runner-up topic for this year, uh, to, to the water topic, uh, to increase diplomatic engagement with Russia on a, in a list of areas. Uh, and then finally, there's a treaties topic, kind of similar to the college topic from uh, many years ago, 2002, 2003, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it lists four treaties and the affirmative has to ratify one of the four. So those are the five. Uh, I shared um, my ranking in the 3NR article, and I think Brian and I are generally um, close to an agreement. I like the global health topic the best. I think it's a really timely topic. I like the wording of the mechanism. I think the balance of affinic round is pretty good. I think it's uh, very interesting. It's, uh, of course, a debate that has been dramatically changed since March 2020. And uh, just thinking about the, the possibility of getting to debate pandemic policy and global health security in this moment that really appeals to me. I would be very excited about that. I put the treaties topic second. I like that it's narrow. I like um, that it would uh, hopefully encourage uh, folks to have more in-depth negative debates. Um, then I rank the Russia topic. I do like that topic, uh, followed by the uh, emerging tech topic, and then finally the climate change topic. I think, Brian, uh, you shared your list with me. Um, we're in agreement about global health security. Um, we flip-flopped Russia and treaties, and we flip-flopped uh, climate change and emerging tech, but pretty pretty comparable opinions. Um, in the article, I kind of shared the, the three primary things that I think about when I'm thinking about the topic. You know, Number one, especially as I've gotten older, is just like, is this interesting? Is this worth debating? Is this going to make students want to debate? Is this how I want to spend a year. Is this how I think a whole bunch of people should be spending their year? And uh, I used to not care about that as much. I more cared about the game playing aspect. But um, the longer I've been doing this, the more I just, it matters to me if the topic is exciting and interesting and uh, inspires student interest. And so that's that's kind of my number one um, variable. I then, uh, like you were just mentioning before, I care a lot about whether it's kind of going in the other direction from the status quo, whether it's like forcing the affirmative to be kind of controversial, to be different than the way things are now. In my experience, that just tends to create a better topic. The negative has more unique disadvantages. The affirmative has more unique advantages. It just creates more clash. Um, there's nothing more frustrating than those topics where the affirmative can just say, you know, status quo incurs all the disadvantages, but we're, we should do this minor tweak. Uh, that's strategic, of course, but it doesn't result in very interesting or educational debates. And then finally, I, I kind of care about limits. I want a topic that's relatively limited. Some of the high school proposed topics over the years have been too big. Some of the ones that we've debated, I think, have been too big. And so at the margins, I'd rather have something that's a little bit 
um, smaller. I assume you kind of think along a lot of the same lines. Is there anything uh, that you kind of think differently about how to uh, assess potential topics? Is there any variable that you kind of would place higher in your calculation, or I guess more generally, uh, as you're looking at a slate of topics, kind of what are you looking for to pick out the good ones, separate them from the bad ones? So I typically think about them in the same way, I guess, the addendums to some of the stuff you said. Novices. So I'm I'm big on, is it good for novice debate? The reason is because I think we need to focus on making sure we're recruiting students in. So it's, is it not only, because I feel at some level, like you said, coaches and students of the game are going to play the game pretty much no matter what the topic is. So are there topics that could exist that like are going to stop students from continuing to do the type of debate that they're already doing? Few and far between. But what are we going to do to encourage the new batch of students? So I think I look at when I say, is it interesting? It's not just, do I find it interesting? Can I see myself pitching it? to a novice is something interesting. And I think to use the water topic as an example, it's tough to pitch the water topic to a novice as sort of a interesting hot button issue, even though we know it to be one. And they may understand it, that it's important, but is it interesting to them? You know, is it flashy? Is it something like cool? So I've gone beyond even talk about like the environment and energy. And you got to lump those in because I mean, those are parts of the topic. I mean, you're debating natural gas, you're debating things of direct impact. You could debate about indigenous populations, federal land. You're talking about agriculture. There's, you've got to pick what's popular for you all. Like if you're debating in the Northeast and talking about natural gas with the Marcellus shale, uh, it's super important. If you're talking about different areas in the Midwest, like agriculture is huge. If there's parts about runoffs uh, on the coast and also the way in which dams operate and inland waterways like those are all like issues for those and you have to like pick those issues and kind of go with it i think summing it up is just water and i think we said this in a previous episode about just the idea of like flint you know at one time the topic was going to be focused on that hot button issue and that was a hot button issue but then when the topic comes out it sort of missed its moment in time because it came out a little bit later and the result is like how do we make it popular uh with those young kids and get them interested because when you're trying to sit at a club fair, which a lot of our schools like operate on. You have an activities fair or club fair, even in the beginning of the year, you're trying to pitch all these new middle school kids or these new high school kids. And you have all these tables up next to each other. When they come up and talk to you, if you're a one event school that's only doing policy debate, when you talk about like your topic for the year, you want it to like pop. And I think that's like super, super important to me. I think the second, when it comes to the question of the direction of the resolution is not only is it like good uniqueness to be like the administration in power is not currently doing whatever the resolution talks about. But I like to think about it a bit like, what does a core one and C look like against most of these apps? Like, what is a core T argument you're going to read to limit the topic? What's the core mechanism counterplan, not, you know, agent counterplan or process counterplan? And then what is your core DA or core criticism? And I like it to be something that's like, can I feel a whole year's topic, the words of the resolution, lend credence to like reading a, a certain disab that's not politics for the entire year? And I think we should really be focusing on that. Like, I wish this topic was more focused on like a regulations type argument that there were like broad regulations that every AF had to deal with because you can read more disads off regulations than like protection. And then in regards to like the mechanism, it's just kind of like have a mechanism of clash that's not the federal versus state government. I think like trying to force some of these debates would be good. 
And again, it's like this idea of argumentative engineering. We're going through the process to be like, what is that core generic that we're talking about? But, you know, that's just kind of addendums to what you're saying. I agree with everything that you're talking about. And I think when we went through and ranked them, I think like, I know, for example, my number two being Russia versus treaties is just the question of what's good, what could be popular with, with novices. And I think it's a lot easier to kind of put on a little brief five, 10 minute PowerPoint to novices uh, or just kids that are interested in joining a team and talking about like us Russian relations uh, in the context of some of these, some of these questions and kind of like that stuff they read about every day. I think getting the question of treaties is good from a perspective of like competitive balance. And there's a lot of things to learn about that. But one thing I've learned through my time at Edgemont, similar to my time when I was at Cathedral Prep, and maybe you've come across some of this or other people in our audience have, but students, when you talk about the process of ratification and you focus on a mechanism, such as what the mechanism of the treaties topic, it requires a lot of understanding of governance, constitutionality, and the way in which like our systems of checks and balances and branches of government operate that a lot of young students like don't have exposure at such an early level. So you have like this extra step that you have to put in, which is now you're not just supplementing academic work, but you're like supplanting some of the work these students are doing. Because I've got students that don't learn about some of these processes until sometimes U.S. history, but even more so when they learn government right before they vote in the first election right after they graduate. So is that a good or bad thing? That's like up for the board of directors, the board of education to deal with. But it is a hurdle sometimes to get like the context of stuff. Like you have to maybe spend a month or two. Like it's hard to fast track that into reality. If you say start novices the second week of September, like if your school, if you're in the Northeast, you start after September, after Labor Day, and you have to like teach kids with your one practice a week or two practices a week, the 60 to 90 minutes you have them. If like 75 minutes of that is just trying to teach them about governance, the system of governance that exists and like make them understand that process. Like, how do you get to the topic then? Like you might not get these kids on board until later. So that's not like me to go into like, but I think that's like one distinction. I think Russia is a better novice topic, even though I personally do not like the Russia topic. I think it's better for, for novices because it's like a baked in debate. And I said this earlier when we talked, but it has this like appeasement versus containment debate always baked in. And I think the resolution's probably leaning in the wrong direction. Like I wish it stayed with the previous pressure topic that got introduced last year. But like a lot of people want the, the affirmative to be able to defend cooperation. And I think a lot of those like cooperation type engagement affirmatives are weird because I don't think there's really great literature to defend. There's not really good bright line on cooperation. What does that mean? And there's a hard bright line to create there. Whereas I think the AF would have to defend uh, stronger, sort of stronger, harder bright line on pressure. And that, again, that's like why I don't really like it myself. But I do think it's an interesting topic for students. I think, you know, getting into some of the stuff, probably why we have the NATO global emerging technologies topic a little bit different or whatever. It's like kids do like AI. They like talking about cybersecurity. They like these next months, uh, the November, December topic for public forums, like dealing with like cryptocurrency and federal regulation of it. Like people are going to like that because like that's, you know, that's what kids want to talk about nowadays. Like AI is huge. Like a couple of years ago, Stefan had talked about AI topics and like internationally, like students, like a consensus of students want, they love AI topics. People love talking about AI and stuff. So having those topics that throw in these things, bring students to you 
And once the students are to you, it's your job to like get them hooked. But like, I feel like making debate less of a class, more like a fun activity is what gets them hooked. And I think when you focus on some of these mechanism topics that have a dearth of understanding needs to happen, that some of these kids aren't learning already in school and you force them to have to learn it before they can get into debate really sucks the life out of some of that fun. So that's just like some of my, some of my just baseline thoughts on it. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to have to, you, you might've convinced me on Russia ahead of treaties. The, uh, I mean, we've, we've debated the component issues quite a bit. So we've, there's definitely been topics. I think it was the ocean topic was the last time that Arctic policy was significantly debated. That was interesting. Um, that's kind of, there's a lot of crossover between that and the law of the sea part of the treaties topic. I think both will get into a lot of the same issues. Cybersecurity, we've debated that quite a bit uh, on the China topic, especially uh, but China, cybersecurity, as it relates to Russia, certainly a topic that's worthy of debate. And then the human the human rights part kind of gave me a little pause because that's quite a broad section or whatever subset of foreign policy. And that diplomatic engagement term that we've tried before, I guess we've, we tried constructive engagement in college. We tried economic and or diplomatic engagement on Latin America. We tried economic engagement, I think, on China or was it economic and or diplomatic? I don't remember. But that term kind of in my experience is not particularly limiting, uh, but I do agree. And especially as I look at the treaties topic more, uh, you know, the thing that appeals to me is like having debates about the CTBT that uh, I've seen those, those are good debates, seeing debates on law of the sea. I've seen a lot of those. Those are very good. Um, the CEDAW debates and the convention of biological diversity debates that kind of comes up. I don't know that I've seen a huge kind of advantage versus disadvantage debate on those that they usually come up more as advantage counter plans or um, kind of like international uh, credibility impacts or some soft power impact type arguments. But the, the, the thing that gave me pause, and I mentioned this in, in my uh, post about this, about the treaties topic is just what you just said about the prioritization of mechanism. I was kind of thinking about it more. Do I really want to see a whole bunch of debates about that? Do I really want to coach a bunch of debates about that? But as you talked, you know, that also maybe is a more of a turnoff than I than I uh, anticipated or that I really thought too much about for beginners. Uh, I'd be interested to know, I think I might've put this even in the post, I'd be interested to know what the uh, coaches and circuits that are more lay style think about this topic. Because in one sense, it's it's limited. There are disadvantages to each of those, plus there's generic uh, treaty disadvantages, you know, like the Republican platform sovereignty concern kind of argument as a, as a disadvantage. So in that sense, maybe they like it, but I, my guess is that they don't like it because they want more flexibility for the affirmative. If you were on a stock issues type circuit, I'm not sure you could really have a good year if there were just four affirmative cases. So it might be irrelevant um, because if that's true, if I'm right, that the more stock issues kind of classic debate style programs are, are going to put treaties quite low, then I don't know that it has a great shot of, of making the final ballot. I will add in that the way in which a lot of the, the reason that treaties is definitely enticing to a lot is because a big chunk of NFHS schools traditionally look at these resolutions because you have to remember, it's not just like debate coaches and debate moderators or who are making these votes. A lot of times it's like academic, you know, theater instructors or, you know, teachers or athletic directors who, who get the vote. And sometimes they'll vote based on what they look at. And they're just kind of like, this is interesting. Uh, and I think a lot of people view it like not everyone, you know, consults like prior to me getting on for New York, Stefan had had it a little bit, but then, you know, a lot of people rushed at the last minute to get it prior to Stefan. I don't even know who was voting for New York, the NFHS coordinator in our athletic office, like for the state, 
had been like, oh, I've been looking for people. I don't know where he was looking for people to be on the committee, but, you know, luckily I just, you know, threw my hat in. But the end result is pro-con style debate, like the way they look at public forum topics is like how a lot of these resolutions get looked at. So like treaties is super enticing. If you think about like, there's four areas, there's back and forth on both of them. You can have like a topic because they don't really look at the mechanism debate as much. They don't think about the question of, what are the counter plans that exist? Like, what is the, what criticisms link into this topic? Like, what is topic uniqueness? Because they look at it as just sort of like, are we going to have, if we have a public debate about this or a policy debate in their eyes, it's not policy debate like we imagined on the national circuit. Uh, so the result is some of these topics are like super enticing. Like Russia is super popular in a lot of the areas because, you know, Russia was popular in 1997. Russia is going to be popular this next time around. It lost only by one vote in the last balloting uh, because people just find the U.S. Russia like it's in the paper all the time. People always know what's going on. Like when you have two huge superpowers and it's about Biden and Putin and Trump and Putin and, you know, NATO and first Russia and the U.N. and Russia and Iran and Russia and China and the United States are, are central to every question of international relations. So like people believe that it's like important that we like discuss them. So I think those are going to be two topics that are going to move up the ladder, even though I think global health should be, we should be debating that because it's a moment in time where we have it and it will not, it's not going away anytime soon. And it's unique to be able to debate a topic about global health when there's a, in the midst of a global pandemic. So that's like a unique period in time, just like I thought in college for the healthcare topic was like a unique period in time where college students get to talk about the faith, the healthcare system in a world that like we were looking at potentially the ACA being repealed and different inefficiencies and benefits coming from that. I thought there was like a general debate that should happen over that amongst college students because it is something that's going to directly impact them in the next few years. I think students right now, like the central question is like having students debate kind of like maybe where were the pitfalls? What can we do better? How can we stop things in the future? What can we do to prevent, you know, global health issues like we just had? I think those are like important. I think it's probably more important than talking about treaties. It's probably more important than talking about Russia. It's definitely more important than talking about sort of some of the NATO stuff. And I, climate's obviously super important. We talk about that all the time, but I just, I think you and I agree. There's like some issues with the climate wording that kind of makes it tough. Uh, but just like, I mean, people are going to say the global health topic is a little tough because it says international support and like, what does international support mean? So but I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think there. I think when people think about the topics, you also have to think about like when it, when you're shocked at sometimes the result. The result is because there's only really like 54 votes, I think, total, and there are people who are voting who are not debate coaches, have no experience, and like are just looking at the topics to think about like if they were to have like a debate at their dinner table, would it be a cool, interesting debate if they had it in their classroom or their dinner table or they're talking about it amongst friends. And that makes a huge difference when you look at topics and thinking about kind of like, can you get behind and support and see a topic? No one's thinking about like, how does the national circuit debate? And I think that's one of the issues that come up often when we talk with some of our colleagues is I see people all the time on Facebook lists I'm part of messaging me like, you know, we're ready to go with like fire and brimstone to like try to change the process. But the thing is, is that most of America that does policy debate does not do policy debate like the national circuit. And that's like something we have to be cognizant of. And the more we realize that and make it very clear up front that like we're 
the smaller number here. Like we're the minority when we're talking about this super hyper-technical debate, what are we doing? I think it starts to put a different spin on the way we should view the topic process and the results of these topics that we get to, and then how we should enter the topic process with an open mind, knowing that there's thousands of other people that aren't us that put their time and effort and expertise into doing these. And, and they should also be applauded for the work that they're doing. And I think they just come from a completely different perspective of what they expect out of these resolutions. Yeah, I strongly agree with that. I think I would, I could be open to potentially, I don't think I currently support this idea, but I could be open to a, an argument that um, national circuit, the national circuit, as if there's one, but na- national circuit tournaments maybe, or some national circuit tournaments could play around with having a subset of the national resolution as their tournaments rules. So just sort of limit, you can, these are the four affirmatives, or this is the kind of subwording for our tournament. But I think it would be a, a big mistake to fragment the process. The fact that there is one national high school policy debate topic uh, and that there has been since the 1920s, I think is very important. Uh, like by statute, the Library of Congress, you know, puts together a bibliography and uh, shares that, uh, uh, you know, research links and stuff. It's, it's just very cool that there is a, that the United States has a national high school policy debate topic. Uh, and so I think certainly I get why people sometimes are frustrated with the results or they don't like particular topics. You know, sometimes the topic I think would have been a good topic a couple of years ago and we kind of get to it late or, you know, it could be a really good topic if we could just make a couple tweaks to the wording. I get all of that. But um, like you said, the, the topic serves a huge audience of students. It serves way more tournaments and teachers and schools than just compete at the tournament of champions or TOC qualifying tournaments or whatever. And so you have to be fair to that process and I do think it would be a mistake to uh, just deviate from that entirely, to, to exit from that. Uh, my fear is that if that happened, the, the already kind of small high school national circuit policy committee would further decline in numbers. Um, it would make it much harder for students at other schools to ever access those tournaments because they would be using a different topic. And for as much as you can complain about this process, I've, I've been pretty happy with the topics that we've come up with. I can quibble, like I said, with some particular wording choices, but this water topic is fine. It's not great, but I think it's fine. So far, last year's criminal justice reform topic, I thought was pretty good. The arms control, arms sales topic was very good. The immigration topic during the Trump administration was good. We've had a string of good topics, and uh, it's because a lot of people are putting a lot of work into it at the, at the initial stage of deciding what kind of topics to explore at that middle stage of producing topic papers that takes a ton of work at the meeting kind of scrutinizing them putting the wordings together polishing it up figuring out which ones to put on the final ballot and then people do put a lot of thought i think into uh into their votes and so if you want to get involved uh, talk to your coach if you're a student if you're a coach talk to your state association um, the final ballots are due sometime uh, the week of uh, the first week of october so somewhere around october 7th or 8th most of the organizations i think are closing their balloting, and then we'll find out the final two. And I'm sure we can uh, record another episode once we see the final two and really break down the final two. But I think both of us agree, global health security, put that one number one, but definitely dive into the topic papers yourself, kind of formulate your own opinion. If you disagree, that's fine. Um, The cool thing is that you can read all the topic papers and think about it for yourself. And another quick pitch for the NFHS is, you know, if you want to try to be a part of the process, if you have any feedback, then feel free to email into sort of us at the three and R you can email me directly. If you get my email, uh, email the NDCA or any of your organizations, you know, I will do my best to advocate for people who want to see different 
amendments or changes happen in the process and, and try to add your voice in uh, for those who aren't represented. But more importantly, the NFHS like puts a significant and in financial investment into policy debate. And I will say it's significantly larger than any other debate organization I know of in the United States. Uh, through their policy debate quarterlies that they put out, through the efforts of their committees, uh, through the resources they try to put available. Uh, you know, the NSDA has a partnership with the NFHS for some of their learn courses about, you know, for judging and uh, different elements of that. So like there's a significant effort by the NFHS that's put in financially and through resources to build policy debate up. And I think we should work and look to supplement that with our passion for the activity more though than trying to supplant anything that's happening there. Because like I said, if they don't know what to change if they don't hear from it, but again, they don't deal with every individual doing policy debate. They deal with state organizations and they also are doing a bunch of other things. So you've got to get to the right people that then they'll listen to them. So feel free to email in your ideas or get in touch with us and let us know. And we'll do our best to kind of get those into the people that need to know. The other thing we want to talk about in this episode is the other topic that students might be interested in, which is the college topic this year. Uh, the college national debate tournament, CETA circuit, is debating antitrust policy. Uh, and I think a lot of high school students or high school coaches might be interested in that because they're going to be, you know, hopefully watching some college debates streamed online. They might have conversations with uh, alums that are current college debaters. They might have assistant coaches that are current college debaters. And a lot of high school students rely on the college wiki to see what arguments are being read, grab um, useful evidence, uh, and uh, kind of see the state of the art of college level debate. So the resolution is resolved. The United States federal government should substantially increase prohibitions on anti-competitive business practices by the private sector by at least expanding the scope of its core antitrust laws. And I think it's helpful for students who are going to start looking at the college wiki and watching college debates to know a little bit about that. So we're not going to teach you everything in this episode. We're just going to tease a few things, and then we're going to throw a bunch of resources, links into the episode description that you could check out on your own. Uh, the antitrust topic paper is a good place to look. It was written by uh, Jeff Button and several co-authors. Um, it's available on the CETA Forum's website, among other places. We'll throw the link in the episode description. The um, elevator pitch for the topic I thought was interesting and, and pretty compelling. It, it did win. So this was a, su a successful pitch. But essentially, the argument is that college debate should choose an economic topic, something that gets uh, at the core of our economy uh, in this moment of, of profound political and economic turmoil, uh, contentiousness, and that the kind of uh, structural debates about the economy are, are relatively rare. We often will debate economy impacts or different affirmatives and negatives that get to an economy um, impact at the end of the chain, but we don't often debate kind of the mechanism, the core mechanism of how our economy is structured. So um, antitrust topic uh, resolution that was selected, there was a, in college, the process is slightly different. Uh, the uh, slate, the final slate is a slate of uh, res specific resolutions. In high school, we just vote on you know, the Russia topic versus the treaties topic or the Russia topic versus the global health topic or whatever, that will be our final choice. In college, they voted for a set of topics. And in the second stage, they vote for a specific resolution. So it was resolution number one versus two versus three versus four and that kind of thing. And so the one that they settled on is, like I said, 
increase prohibitions on anti-competitive business practices by the private sector by at least expanding the scope of its core antitrust laws. And I didn't know very much about that. I've listened to a few podcasts. I'll share the links um, that I thought were helpful. Brian, as far as you know at this point, and of course you um, are coaching at Stanford, what um, what is the meaning of that resolution? Kind of to me, that seems slightly different than I would have thought an antitrust resolution would have said. Um, do you kind of know why th- this resolution was selected, or sort of what it's getting at? How it's different than some of the other proposed uh, resolutions? And then kind of give the students and, and listeners some of the um, main controversies that college students are going to be debating this year. What are like the big um, core affirmative and negative arguments on this resolution? Yeah. So. I don't, I wasn't at the topic meeting this year and I've like followed along a little bit. um, So I don't have all the details on this, but one thing that college debate does sort of differently than high school debate is, you know, in high school debate, we're just talking, we just talked about an entire process where when we show up to the topic meeting, there are topic papers with resolutions that are already sort of moving forward. And that, and that's, what's important. Uh, And then they kind of just talk about what are some changes we can make. So they make minor tweaks but they never really change the entire substance of the paper. Whereas in college, you vote for a topic area. So step one is the NDT completes, and then there's a period after the NDT until maybe the beginning of May uh, where they take papers for the following year's resolution. And then people submit papers, and then there's a wording committee, a topic committee, that reviews those and then they give some minor feedback to some people. Uh, There have been people that said they haven't received the feedback and then they whittle down the list to like, sort of like, we think these are sort of the best topic areas that meet the the guidelines uh, that are established for whatever that year may be. Maybe it's the legal topic they need or international topic or domestic, or it's sort of like uh, up for grabs. Then there's a vote on the topic area. Once the topic area is done, then that's the end of the community process for right now. Then it goes to the wording committee, the topic committee that happens. So CETA has a number of members from their, you know, they're on a topic committee. There are people from the NDT that sit on it. There's some ADA reps. There's some student reps. There's some, you know, unaffiliated kind of like representatives that are there. And then they have, I think, nine members, I believe it is now. It might be 11, but I'm pretty sure it was nine the last time I was at the meeting. And they sit and they do work and they break up into smaller subcommittees and then they take the topic area that won and they start doing work on it. And they start trying to use the paper as sort of a guide for how they want to establish the topic, but they're not bound by anything in the paper to be like, they absolutely must use one of the resolution awardings put forth by a topic. So I would say maybe four or five years ago, maybe even six years ago, when I was at Stanford, one of the topic meetings I went to, they spend a lot of time talking about this idea of like a floor versus ceiling in terms of the resolution. And I think what it means is basically, what is the minimum you have to do that every team would have to do, which guarantees that like something has to get done. And then the ceiling being like, what's the max that can get done. So that's like one ask, like one way they approach a topic. The second way they approach a topic is by just kind of like creating a list. So sometimes then there's like the combination, the perm of those two things where you have like maybe a floor ceiling resolution plus a list. So it's like, you must do at least this, but could be up to this point, And then you could do it in any of these areas. So when you look at the resolution where it says the United States federal government should substantially increase prohibitions on anti-competitive business practices by the private sector, 
the floor is by at least expand the scope of its core antitrust laws, because like that's kind of what the paper wanted to speak to this kind of like antitrust laws, the core antitrust laws. So like every affirmative at a minimum must expand the scope of antitrust. So your AF cannot only just increase the prohibitions on anti-competitive business practices by the private sector. It has to do something where it's like in a bare minimum, you have to do deal with core antitrust laws. And then if you want to go above that, you know, it kind of both of those put together, but they assume that by having this floor in where there's a minimum amount of action that has to get taken, then you deal with, at least there's a, a, you know, something has to get done that you can generate all your dissats from. Then all of a sudden, you know, everything you can operate from the mechanism counterplans come from that. Then your dissats come from there. Criticisms come from there. T arguments stem from there. And it's like, you know, you have to be this bare minimum and then it'll debate that to kind of limit the topic. So that's like one way to limit it. And this came out as like kind of the change from just having a list. Cause I think people got real bored of the list. Cause they're just like, you know, whatever happened with the list was always like, is there four apps in the list? Is there five apps? Is there seven apps in the list? And then what ended up happening is like, whatever had the smallest list always won. So people just kind of like, how do we combat the list topics? List topics are like, cause all the time it's like, if you get like seven votes or six votes to get a, something on the ballot, the meeting ends once they have like at least, I think four or five on the ballot, but you can have as many as like seven or 10 things on the ballot. Well, what happens is you'd have a, a list topic that would have four options, a list topic that would have four options and then a fifth, and then you'd have six options and seven options. Well, like five, six, and seven aren't going to win when there's four because people just want to debate four. So it's like a lot of time was built on kind of what to include. So this floor ceiling is kind of why the resolution is the way it is. They want people to debate a four, the, the, the core functionality of expanding the scope of core antitrust laws. But within that kind of was talking, I think some people, there was some antitrust lawyers that had spoken up at the meeting. Some people had posted on Facebook and they kind of spoke about like, there are a ton of changes in the context of like antitrust law that's happening, like at the governmental level, uh, things that have happened since the Biden administration came into play. And it's kind of like, it's something that's going to be discussed and there's going to be a lot of changes at that level. So like those have to happen. Then people are just kind of like, well, is the topic too big by just changing that? And is it like non-unique for some regards when you're doing that? So then they added in the components of like increasing prohibitions on anti-competitive business practices by the private sector. And, you know, if you were to ask me, I think this is to kind of target some of these big social media companies to target some of these other kind of like competitive business practices and arbitrations that are happening and how these things operate and, big, you know, focusing on the way monopolization occurs and sort of how the government is like not doing as good a job kind of like regulating monopoly. So if I were to be like, you know, without being at the meeting, if you were to be like, what's my gut that's like, what's the core app on this topic? It would be like regulating monopolies in a lot of regards and just kind of regulating maybe some of these social media business practices that are happening. You know, and the easiest way to look is like the ADA puts out like a novice topic, a novice packet, and they're like novice packet includes like a Facebook affirmative that deals with like regulating Facebook. Uh, and that's kind of like a central area. I know like, you know, in the finals of the Northwestern tournament that just happened, there was an affirmative that dealt with um, increasing, like prohibiting arbitration agreements uh, that go through and dealing with like, you know, between different parties' rights and and stuff like that. And, you know, you will find affirmatives all year long that kind of like try to limit the scope of this. But like I said, I don't think there's necessarily like, at least the first time, I haven't went through the whole entire wiki, but that's what I believe the intent of the topic is. Now, all year long, 
everything that happens in college is like a little bit different than high school. High school will stay with like sort of a single genre of AF all year. The, the college topic almost certainly will get smaller and smaller as the year goes on. And the one thing I always find in college, and it happens all the time, and I'm speaking like generalities because it's a common thing that's happens from topic to topic. And if you go through the wiki and you look at these, these apps will start with like huge chunks of their affirmative will deal with like how antitrust law is already being like changed in the status quo. Like the scope of it's already being changed because like the apps that want to deal with like non-unique in your disads to like nothing out of the gate. So the 1AC spent a significant amount of time as the year will go on. You know, as the apps get smaller, the 1ACs will spend more time sort of like debating the question of like the scope of antitrust is like already expanding in different ways. And, you know, as a result, harder to win your disad, harder to win your counter plan. You'll have a super specific affirmative uh, about something. And, you know, you'll see a number of teams have multiple apps in their box. It's not like last year's topic where there's like a limited amount when they dealt with like reducing defense commitments, NATO defense commitments and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that, that's what I think the central idea is. And I think it's a little bit different because like the entire topic, the resolution is written in the three days at the topic meeting rather than what happens in high school, which is like the resolutions are written when we show up and we look to tinker them. The entire resolution has to be voted on. And there's only nine people that vote on it and try to come to an agreement over three days. And they do do a lot of work. And like I will say they do significantly more work in those three days than say that happens at the high school meeting. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on. There's a lot of discussion, but at the same time, it's, you got to try to like take in all these different areas and siphon through a lot of stuff like really quick on uh, triage it in a way that like gets you to like what the core is. So is it always like the, the perfect resolution? No. Is it usually pretty decent? Yes. Is it always what you believe would be the scope of the topic paper? Like if you ask the authors, they might not be like, this isn't really what we intended. And this is what ended up happening. Cause the problem is, is like, once you put together the slate, then it goes out to the public and, you know, then they start looking at it and like almost always the smallest topic you know, the one with the floor usually almost always wins if there's not a list because they want to have like a base core action that has to get done within, you know, some relative ceiling on it that kind of stops them from doing like anything. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of like a little bit of background on it. I mean, there's definitely a bunch of apps that are getting written in a number of different directions uh, at the top level. And then, like I said, if you're just talking about like novices or whatever, they're going to talk about kind of regulating some of these like social media monopolies that exist, especially in the context of like Facebook and talk about some of these issues with like disinformation uh, and democracy and stuff that we're talking about where like students that are transitioning from high school into college, they're going to be something that like you're going to hear a lot about because that's all we've heard about for like the last year dealing with the pandemic and the elections and stuff like that. So it'll be all over the place. And at different levels, no matter what you're at, you're going to engage and you're going to see a bunch of different things. And I will say it's going to, it requires usually significantly more expertise to debate on the college topic than the high school topic because of the way in which the terms of the resolution are built, the way that the function of the resolutions, the way that they're written, uh, and the way in which the research happens and the way in which the sort of just the general understanding, like the areas of law, especially when we're talking about like a domestic slash legal topic, uh, there's a lot of areas that kind of get there. And I think like the way in which T operates with that ceiling floor uh, allows like a lot of things, like once you break into the question of like discussing the scope of anti-core antitrust law, then once you meet that, pretty much like they, a lot of the debates allow you to do anything after that. So once you meet the floor, then debates kind of get harder to debate when you're 
negative because the affirmative gets to kind of pick anything they want. It's like, but you get all your like core antitrust law stuff. And that's kind of where you have to like, you know, sit on when you're negative. It's interesting. I've reviewed some of the arguments and it seems like my understanding is that expanding the scope of core antitrust laws means applying antitrust laws to more than just like the basic purpose of antitrust, which is to stop monopolies or like cartels or mergers or whatever from accumulating unfair power. Uh, and so I would imagine, and just from, from um, checking some of these uh, negative documents, it seems like the kind of standard that the affirmative has to meet in order to be a viable affirmative is they have to be able to prove that antitrust policy is key and then beat the like antitrust trade-off DAs or antitrust bad DAs. Uh, some of it is already way too complicated for me to immediately understand without studying it more. I'm assuming that students are going to be in that same boat. Um, the important differences between the high school and college topic, I think, that are relevant for high school students, the agencies that enforce antitrust law are different than the agencies that enforce uh, like water protection or environmental protection laws. So the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice are the two entities um, for sort of weird historical reasons they share responsibility, but those are the two agencies that uh, enforce antitrust law. Uh, the Biden administration has announced kind of a new framework for antitrust enforcement. He did an executive order earlier in the summer announcing a new uh, policy about um, promoting business competition and kind of empowering or encouraging the FTC and DOJ to do more antitrust stuff. So that's different. There's going to be a lot of disadvantages in the college topic and advantages that are about the FTC and about the DOJ and about antitrust. That's not directly um, cross applicable to the high school topic. The politics link is going to be different. Antitrust enforcement, different than environmental protection. You know, there's definitely going to be some um, overlap or, or uh, cross applicability between those two. But uh, the politics of antitrust are a little different, I think, than the politics of environmental protection. And then some of the other like mechanism based arguments are going to be different. Uh, Antitrust policy is is quite a separate thing from environmental protection policy. It's an economic policy. It's very uh, legal. Uh, it has to do with uh, federal approvals of mergers. It has to do with uh, uh, suits against companies for unfair business practices. Uh, in some ways, that's kind of comparable to how environmental laws are enforced at the federal level, but also quite a bit different. So you're not going to be able to just take kind of generic affirmative or negative evidence about antitrust regulations and then just use them and say that they support affirmative or negative arguments about water regulations. Same thing with disadvantage links. Uh, so certainly familiarizing yourself with antitrust policy, at least enough that you can tell the difference, would be one tip that I have for students that are going to watch college debates and then scour the college wiki. Uh, do you have any tips for a student Brian, that is going to go looking on the college wiki for evidence that they can use, either things to look for or things to avoid doing to uh, make their, their college wiki use a little bit more productive and educational? Yeah, I definitely think the two areas I think they're most useful is a lot of the case cards people read in terms of like impact defense and impact turns. Uh, a lot of that stuff you can is useful for high school students. So definitely look um look into the case stuff that people are reading. I think also it's interesting to look at the form in which college debate prepares. So when you look at the wikis of some of the best teams in the country, if you take like the top 10 teams in the country and you follow their neg wiki uh, and you look at it, look at the way in which they prepare their one and C's to read against teams and think about the way in which they prepared for the topic. So one thing you see a ton of stuff on is like all these different like sector competitiveness DAs. And they talk about kind of like core antitrust law and the way it upsets competitiveness in like tech, energy, it could be any number of industries. And then 
think about that in the context of the high school topic, where it's like, that might be something you want to do instead of be your BizCon DA, maybe you're going to do your competitiveness DA and you have like a specific sector competitiveness DA. And I try to tell my teams all the time when we're preparing for the topic, it's always better to categorize the topic in terms of like, what are the like four or five, like when you look at the summer, what are the four or five buckets that these affirmatives can come from and then like prepare for it? Like if you don't have a one and C against an energy affirmative, that's like specific and teched out with link arguments and specific impact turns the case arguments and stuff that that work well, then you're going to lose to energy affirmatives. Same thing with ag, same thing with inland waterways, et cetera. Like there's just, you have to be ready to debate these things and talk. Like if you don't have arguments about inland waterways and the way in which shipping and commerce and stuff like that could be disrupted and why it's necessary. And like, if there's got to be protect, like, or if you don't have stuff about natural gas and the way in which like energy competitiveness is necessary, you're going to just be in a tough area in a lot of these places because like the apps at some level, even if it's conservation or protection, and we had this discussion in the last episode, you have to be ready. But when you look at the college wikis, a lot of times, the way in which they approach the topic, it's not a one for one. Like I would not say like, go and like try to look at like planks of the state's counterplan that people read and then be like, I'm just going to add all these planks of the state's counterplan in that they read because like, I don't think like taking the tools that they use sometimes are always the best, but I think look at the way in which they prepare and why that's important. So when you look at a state's counterplan on the college wiki, you might see a bunch of extra parts of it that's like written in or whatever. But then when you go and look at the affirmative that that was prepared against it, you look and you'll start to see like, all the state's counterplans actually like really well thought out in the context of like the way it interacts with this affirmative. And then you should model that style of preparation rather than just say, I'm always going to add these things in. So then your counterplan ends up just becoming a laundry list of sort of craziness that you're adding it at the end because it works because you got to look. And it's kind of like what I try to tell my teams, like in the beginning of the round, like sit and read the solvency evidence, figure out like you want to be your one and C wants to be where the two AC is going to be. So like, Look at that. And I think a lot of these one and C's, especially when you look at the ELIMS and major tournaments, like if you just go to Northwestern alone or you just go to the Kentucky Round Robin and you look at kind of what's been read, you'll start to see that like people prep their stuff out and the kind of way to engage is early on in the year, they're gonna have a lot of great stuff to like sectors. And that's a good way to think about preparation and going about it. So I think the case stuff is important. I think some of the stuff they'll read is just as like obviously like looking at it for like politics disads and some of the competitiveness stuff. And if people read like a BizCon disad and some of the other stuff I think is good. I think the biggest thing to take away the disad from co the college wiki is trying to take arguments and stuff them like a square peg through a round hole in the high school debate. I think there's way too many times like Bill or I will probably judge it sometime like an FTC trade-off DA that someone's just going to try to jam in with like a random link card that they found. And that's also kind of the problem that sometimes that happens with like college coaching with high school kids is like, they try to also like square peg round hole some of these arguments. Uh, and then maybe they apply once. And then all of a sudden it's the generic that you're reading a lot of debates and there's like no applicability. And like, you might win a round on it because like a team didn't have an answer. And the judge is like, well, you didn't answer this dissat, even though it didn't have any applicability. But I think, the benefits of the wiki outweigh sort of some of the drawbacks, even though the drawbacks could be huge in some areas, I think. But you should look at the form and then also focus on some of the case stuff and then kind of use those things to think about good practices that you should be doing to kind of engage on these topics uh, rather than just saying, what can I poach from these wikis? Uh, I think you'll be like a lot better as a, a debater if you look at the form.
I think that's excellent advice. The more you can learn about the process, the more you can then implement that in your own preparation. I think a lot of times it's easy as a high school student to look at the college wiki and be like, oh, wow, it's great. They're, this team wins because they read five counter plans in the one and C, or this team wins because they go for this particular disadvantage or K or whatever. So I'll do the same thing and then I'll win. Um, but the better way to think about it is kind of why, why is that succeeding? What are they doing to put themselves in a spot to win with that argument? Kind of trace arguments too along uh, the season. So you can already compare the the, the teams that have, are debating at the Kentucky round. I mean, you know, how they change their arguments from Northwestern to Kentucky. And then once they go to their next tournament, how did they change them after that? Kind of what, what moves, what did the negative introduce and then how did the affirmative respond? And then how did the negative respond to that? I think that is something that uh, you can do by yourself, just kind of tracing along. And then if you are fortunate enough to know, uh, you know, a friend or someone who debates in college, an assistant coach, somebody that used to go to your school, somebody that you met at camp or whatever, if you want to talk to them about debate, instead of just talking about like, oh yeah, that was awesome when you won that debate instead, you know, ask some questions, you know, that strategy, how, how come that worked? Um, you know, why did you put that together? Uh, once you, once you knew you were going for that, why'd you put those other arguments in the one and see, or if you were affirmative, you know, how, why was that the argument that you decided to go for against that disadvantage and talk about the process. And even though the subject matter is different, even though the college debates are about antitrust and your debates this year are about water protection policy, uh, the, the mechanics of making good decisions and strategy and, and figuring out um, what arguments to go for, where to research, that kind of thing is broadly applicable to both. So uh, definitely co-sign that. Um, try to learn, try to learn something from the process of college debates, not just from the evidence documents that you can grab off the wiki. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. Like I said, I think if you try to pull as many positive practices out of it and avoid the shiny objects, I think you'll be way better off. And like the shiny objects are nice too. Don't get me wrong. Like if you see a shiny object, you want to run around. I'm not going to stop you from doing it. But I think when that becomes the backbone of when it ends up becoming debate, then all of a sudden you start to see like the impeach counter plans and a lot of these other things coming in that are they don't really have any mesh with the topic, but then like people are relying on them and like everyone in C and they end up becoming into more and more two and R's because of like mishandling by the AF, but that's not really like making you a better debater and it's not making debate better. a good place to stop. So in our next episode, we will probably return to this year's high school topic. But in this episode, we wanted to talk about the topic for next year. Um, those of you that are uh, juniors or younger, you will debate that topic next season. Um, those of you that are seniors, you'll probably judge it. Um, and of course, coaches are interested in that. And we wanted to talk about this year's college topic because the um, Kentucky Round Robin is, uh, is underway. The second major college tournament of the year is going to be coming up soon. And um, a lot of high school students are interested in following along. So hopefully um, this will help you uh, do that a little bit better, get a little bit more out of that. Like I said, we'll throw some links into the show notes to help you get started on learning about antitrust. Um, subscribe to our podcast if you're enjoying it in your podcast uh, application of choice. I believe that we're now on all the major platforms. If we've missed one or if you uh, want us to add it to a different platform that we're not currently on, send us an email podcast at the 3nr.com. You can also email us to suggest a topic or to give us feedback. Um, but that's it for episode two. We will be back at you in about two weeks. Good luck at upcoming tournaments and thanks for listening. Great seeing everyone. Have a good weekend. Thank you.